The spirit of performance defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. All right, lots to watch today, Carl. Thanks so much. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour. The new N in FANG and why NVIDIA appears well on its way to joining the trillion-dollar stock club now. We'll debate whether it's too late and too expensive for you to get in. Our investment committee joining me for the hour today is Kerry Firestone, Steve Weiss, Josh Brown, and John Najarian. He's the co-founder of Market Rebellion. Com. It's good to see everybody. Let's go to the wall, take a look at what stocks are doing at noon in the east. The Dow is down by 86. It's off the lows. S&P is a fraction higher by about 11 points. There's the Nasdaq good for about 0.4%. Russell's negative 10-year note yield 158. We do want to focus, though, on NVIDIA. The big blowout there, new record high. As I said, it's the new N in FANG. That's how we're going to start referring to it. Josh Brown, I know you're not surprised um, we did talk about that downgrade on valuation last week. I want you to listen to what you said then, and then we can talk about this quarter on the other side of that. The market doesn't care about a lot of the ways that stocks like these have historically been valued. It's not Texas Instruments. They're not stamping widgets. It's a company that's involved literally in the transformation of the world. The, the next phase the, the fourth industrial revolution is marrying the physical world to the digital world. That's what us and our children are all about to live through. I mean, six days ago, okay, the point being, you know, sell it on valuation at your peril. And today we learn why. I'm so, no, I hate the sound, I'm, I hate the sound of my voice. I'm so obnoxious. Uh, let me try to change my tone. So, so... So, I mean, the, the growth is ludicrous. Like, revenue growth of 50% for a company of this size year over year is crazy. Data center is explosive. 55% growth. The video growth. game segment is explosive. Yeah. Data center yeah, 55, gaming the, 42. The, the game, right, gaming's on fire. Mm -hmm. But then they, have this, then they have this thing, which is the Omniverse, which last week they had the GTC uh, event, which is like their user conference, right? And... Uh, Jensen Wang, the CEO, transformed himself into an AI avatar, and people were able to ask him questions, and he would answer the questions, but it wasn't him. It was a, a digital rendering, like a cartoon character, in the Omniverse uh, of him literally with a suggestion engine and artificial intelligence and all of the things that NVIDIA does better than anyone else on the planet combined to create this amazing thing. And if you're watching this company, uh, you see that what's, what's coming next 
is going to be this marriage of all of their technologies, from suggestion engines to augmented reality to virtual reality. Um, and, and of course, GPUs will sit at the center of all this to render the digital images. And they told us last night on the call how they're going to make money from this. It's licensing. They're going to have the must-use platform for metaverse, omniverse, multiverse, whatever you want to call it. Picture 20 million companies having to flip this switch on and utilize their tools in order to build the things that they want to build in service of marrying that digital and physical uh, reality. And this is not just about, like, let's make a cool video game. They ha and with, with the Omniverse tool, basically a company that's thinking about deploying robots in the real world can create digital versions of the, that robot, a digital twin of what they want to actually manufacture and sell, and put it in a, an extreme version of a 3D rendering of the real world and test it out and see what happens. Automakers too. And when you think about it from that standpoint, think about the trillions of dollars over the next 10 years that can be saved in developing things for the real world by first putting them in the omniverse and seeing how these elements react with right, each other. Right. So it's just like this, it's, a, it's this incredible, creative, imaginative story, but the dollars are real. It's not promises. It's not pie in the sky. They're making a ton of money. And I just don't see why that would stop anytime soon. So, so it's an expensive stock that got more expensive today. Yeah, right. John Nigerian, I mean, you own calls. Good on you uh, as well. Price target goes to 400 at Needham, 335 at Mizuho, 350 at Piper, 350 at KeyBank, 360 at Bernstein, which had some in interesting commentary to go along with their bump. Uh, quote, we admit to white knuckling it a bit here. We see a narrative that is growing stronger rather than weaker. For now, we're willing to embrace it. Um, you know, I don't know, like hold your nose and buy it. Is that the same kind of thing? Because even though you think it's expensive, it's growing. And the growth is unbelievable. Oh, yeah. And growing like a weed, Scott, uh, to, 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 without echoing everything Josh said, focusing on the fact that uh, the, the mining chips fell off the table this time. Why did that happen? I imagine because they couldn't deliver as many of those chips to the miners. We know the miners were moving out of they China. They don't exist. I imagine they're booking. They, what? They don't exist? They don't, they're selling what them in the secondary market for exist? double the price. You can't, I'm saying the chips, you can't get them. Like there are people paying 100% right. above right. the normal price. Right. You're 100% right, John. Yeah, I agree with Josh. Um, the, but in terms of delivering these, you know, whether it's sold at retail price or whether it's sold at that marked up price, um, I think a lot of those chips, Scott, will get booked this next quarter. In other words, all of uh, anybody that looked at this earnings call, which was phenomenal, and, you know, the gaming side of it, Josh, you know, the cloud gaming side of what they're doing now has over 14 million people on here. The only reason, Scott, that I really couldn't tie up as much money in this one is because of the price of the stock. It's double the price of Apple. You know, it's $300 stock now, 320 today. A 10,000 share position cost me $3.2 million. I do not have the stock. Instead, I own a bunch of call spreads um, that I've got maybe a tenth of that maybe 300,000, maybe less than that, in and controlling the 10,000 shares. Mm -hmm. But everything I heard, just like Josh said, 
was very positive. And like I say, if we're right about the booking of those chip sales going into the next quarter, well, then Katie, bar the door on the next quarter, too, Josh. All right. So it's, you know, on the march to a trillion dollar market cap company ready to join that club. It's right about 800 billion. So we continue to watch that. And I understand, you know, why there's so much giddiness around a name like this. The stock is up 140 percent, Steve, um, year to date. I know we sort of ridicule the idea, at least as it relates to this stock, and we did it last week, of just downgrading it on valuation. But it is a fair question, is it not, to ask what you would be willing or what you should be willing to pay for a stock like this after it's gone up so much. So how do we deal with that kind of question in this environment? A great company growing by leaps and bounds, but yet the stock is up 140 percent year to date. The market cap is close to 800 billion now. Yeah, and, and that is the question. Look, I'm bitter that I sold it a while ago. I made money off the calls and uh, I didn't have anything going into uh, into the earnings now. But but even even my dog knew they'd blow out this quarter. So I'm a little surprised it's up 10 percent, except for the fact that, as was pointed out, you have monstrous growth, better than 50 percent growth in the core businesses. And it's tough to find that in this kind of company. But I struggle with the valuation and I've got a discipline and I just can't buy stocks, you know, as core positions. I could trade them. Um, but the volatility here was too great for me in going to the earnings. So that's why I didn't trade it on the print, which I think is always problematic to do, right? But look, I've got a discipline. It keeps me out of trouble more than it makes me money. And that's why I'm unwilling to buy that, buy a company that's valued this high. Well, you I'm not wish you had anybody it, sell it. I know, but you just said you, you basically Without just said, a doubt. You, you basically a doubt. said you missed it, right? And now you can't buy it now because it's, it's yeah. too rich. But if you missed it here thinking it's too rich or you won't buy it here, uh, surely yeah. it was still too rich back when you would have bought it because the valuation was still huge then. Absolutely. You know. Absolutely. I also missed Rivian. I, I missed, you know, tons of others and I'm going to miss them. But I'm also going to make money in much cheaper stocks like a GXO, which, by the way, is up 80 percent in just the three months. So so look, look, more power to Josh, to John. Uh, I'm happy to trade them, but I'm not trading them on events like this because you can lose as much as you can win. To others, I would say, look, their dominance is clear, but dominance in tech, particularly in this area of tech, doesn't last forever. So they are also well, you being say, able to take advantage, know, but, and it's not it's not by accident. But, but you could you could say people were uh, saying that people, you you could look at Apple and say, well, look what happened to Nokia and you know whatever research in motion, and say, well, dominance like this doesn't last forever. But for the cream of the crop, it does, right? And now we say it does. As I, it as, does. As I said. And, as I said at the top, it's like, okay, put NVIDIA, for Netflix, with all due respect, put NVIDIA in right. with the FANG, because that, that's the new N there. When you said, and we look at the growth I, I, that you get in NVIDIA, right. and you say, okay, 50% growth here, 48% here, 56% here, it's the exact same conversation we were having after all the big five reported their earnings. You look at it and you're like, I cannot believe that these companies are reporting what, what they're reporting. That's why you're willing to continue to buy these stocks, Steve. Yep. Yep. No, that's absolutely correct. And look, I think they've got their runway got longer because if you have so much tightness in semis now 
that they're just trying to meet demand in their in their in their core. And this is the other companies in their core businesses. So they're not out there saying we hope we can invent a chip or producer chip that's going to compete with Nvidia. So that makes their runway longer for the foreseeable future. So look, you know, I actually did buy calls after that. I bought them, you know, what I thought were reasonable calls of 370s going out a few months. Um, so I'll make money that way. But like John, I want to control my risk in this name. Not that anything bad's going to happen to until, until the next quarter. It's going to be, you know, if the market goes up, this is going to go up at least as much as the market. It underscores, Carrie, kind of where we are in the market, does it not? As we're having a conversation and in the last you know, hour or so, John Malone was on the network speaking with Faber, who used the words like it's a land rush when he looks at what the market's doing and some of the valuations, especially in the growth areas. Now, he didn't say NVIDIA by name, but maybe you put it in the basket of stocks that, okay, it's gone up a whole heck of a lot. As we said, 140% year to date. Um, it's like the late 90s, he says. Now we have Bill Ackman on the tape speaking up at, at a uh, event in Boston, I think, saying we've got a classic bubble fueled by the Fed's easy money policy. Is this stock a case in point of what they're talking about? Even as great as it is, is it really, should it really be up 140% year to date? Yeah. So, Good question. And by the way, I have two dogs who never give me good stock tips. So maybe Steve can send me the contact information for his dog at some point. Um, hey, Kramer now, tried to do here, that before, a, right? We had NVIDIA, right? <laughs> he already did that. That game's been played. Yeah. And by the way, played well. Yeah. Okay? Played well. If you, if you would have bought so, NVIDIA <laughs> when Kramer first named his dog NVIDIA, uh, I don't know what, how many right, hundreds of percent you'd be up right now. <laughs> Exactly. So um, NVIDIA, you know, by the way, up 145% this year, 122% last year. And uh, what I, I find amazing about this, it's, it's phenomenal, is that I know they beat. They didn't beat by that much. I'm not taking anything away from the reaction. But companies do this for periods in which momentum is carrying them. And this is a stock that all of the momentum players are, are buying. And it's on every Reddit board. I mean, you can find so much positive information about NVIDIA. And as Josh says, it's taking over the universe. It's going to solve everything in every company's, you know, uh, future. But there are times, and we have to remember this as professional investors for sure, that if you buy a stock that is taking over the world in whatever area in which it plays, and you buy it at the top, and have to explain that to your clients, institutional or individual clients after, and do not have an answer to the question, why did you buy that stock other than that it was going up and it has an incredible future? That's not a good enough answer. I mean, I, I think, for example, Moderna is an incredible company and the stock phenomenal. But if you paid close to you know, 500 for it, you might at this point say, gosh, our 450, I should have waited before I bought the stock because you don't know when it's going to turn. And NVIDIA, like Tesla, can go up another 50% or 100% in the next six months. And then it could just turn around and go down because there aren't any more buyers. And that's what you have to be worried about if, if you don't own the stock. And I, I would apologize. I don't have own the stock. We wish we did. 
but it's hard to make that case right now. I would rather make that case if it were to fall 20 percent. And at least then you can say it's not 65 times forward earnings if you have to say something about valuation. And I get it that maybe you don't. Uh, I I hear you. So, Josh, let me ask you this. It's a question I pose at the very top of the show. Um, Is it too late? Is it too expensive to buy it today if you don't own it? Is it irresponsible to suggest that you can still buy this stock today, given everything that we've discussed, all the positives, the long runway that we see in front of us, but then you you back it up and you say, well, look at the stock, look what it's done, and look at what the valuation is today. There's really only one good answer to that question, and that is position sizing. So it doesn't have to be binary, I can't buy that stock now. And by the way, I never tell anybody what to do. I tell you what I'm doing. But if somebody is looking at this, well, you wouldn't buy it here, would you? From, I don't care what size position no, we're talking about. To. You wouldn't buy it at three twenty-three. No, you said to. it was too expensive. Right. right. I don't need to buy it today. So this is. I think this is important. This goes way beyond Nvidia. This applies to like so many stocks that I've either done well with or missed out on, or like Shopify for me is the stock I knew I was supposed to buy and I didn't. And the right answer when I think back is not, did I know it wasn't the top in Shopify? Because I don't know, right? Nobody, know, nobody actually knows. The right question was, would it have killed me to put X dollars into Shopify and then get cut in half? It probably wouldn't have killed me in hindsight, and I should have just done it. So it, the answer is not try to guess the future. Like, it, it's not realistic that anybody can do that consistently. You might do it once. You might do it twice. You're not going to do that throughout your whole career. So I think the right answer is to say, okay, I have some exposure to NVIDIA probably in my 401k because I, I own the NASDAQ or I own the Qs in my brokerage account. So I already have some NVIDIA. Do I want more? If the answer is yes, then the question becomes, how much would I put in it knowing, knowing that this stock has a history of 20 and 30% drawdowns and getting ahead of itself and getting over its skis. Can I live with a 20 to 30% drawdown in X dollars? That is the right way to do this. The right way to do this is not, you know what? I'm pretty sure this is the top, so I don't want any exposure at all. I just don't agree with that approach. I've never met somebody that can do that reliably all the time. Okay. So my way maybe is less upside, um, but it's, it's probably less uh, regret. And mi- regret minimization is what keeps you alive on Wall Street. So I want to use the next, I guess, example of a stock that's going the opposite direction. That's Cisco today. After reporting a revenue miss, uh, weaker than expected guidance as well. And offer the question, like, why would you spend money in a stock like this when you can pay up probably a little more than you want for almost tried and true guaranteed growth, like NVIDIA. Let's bring in Jim Labenthal, ask him that very question because he does join us now, he owns the stock. What's the answer, my man? Why bother? Yeah, listen, I'm gonna answer the question, it's the right question to ask. I'm gonna answer it in a framework. I look at what's happening to Cisco today and I ask myself, is this a repeat of what happened with Intel? Okay, because Intel, had actually outperformed the S&P 500 for many years, and then it had a series of operational missteps, and that outperformance dwindled and became underperformance, and there was a lot of regret when I sold Intel. I don't think that's the case here in Cisco. I think this is a buying opportunity, and the reason why is very simple. 
The stock is off so much today because of the guidance going forward. The guidance going forward is about one and a half percent below where consensus was on a revenue basis. And it's all because of the supply chain. That is the epitome of a temporary factor as opposed to a more trenchant permanent factor like Intel's operational results. So I look at a company where demand is there. There's no question that the demand is there. There's reason to believe that the demand will not only be there, but expand with infrastructure and with capital expenditures that are coming because corporate profitability is high. Uh, the demand is there. They just ran into a supply chain problem. They're the latest victim of that. Been plenty of victims of that this year. And what you have to do is just wait this out if you're in it. This is not a time to sell it. It is a time to buy it. But to be fair and to be as honest and accurate as I can, this is probably something that's going to be flat in the 50s for the next three to six months. Wow, that's really optimistic for the people who are currently holding it uh, <laughs> like you. I mean, I just... I feel like I, I want to bundle this stock with, let's say, an Intel and an IBM, for example, as you kind of look at. No, so, well, wait, wait, hold on. Well, let me let, just listen to what I well, listen to where I'm going. Listen to where I'm going, where you could put it in a basket of so much has to go right stocks for, for them to really perform well. And that's where I feel like we're at with so much has to go right for Cisco to take off. And so much has to go right now for Intel to take off. And so much about IBM strategy has to go right. Whereas you look at the other stocks that are really taking off, it's AMD, it's Nvidia, it's Microsoft, it's Apple, it's the other stocks like that. What do you make so, of that? So, Scott, there's really two parts, at least as I heard it, to what you just said, okay? One is the comparison to Intel and IBM, and I don't see the comparison there. I see very long-term business model problems with IBM and Intel that I just don't see with Cisco. I see a temporary supply chain issue with Cisco. But you raise a very good point. Uh, when you compare this to AMD or NVIDIA, obviously it looks terrible. I, I would submit to you, however, that just about any stock in the world is going to look terrible when you compare it to NVIDIA. And that's maybe not the metric, it's definitely not the metric that I would use. I put together a portfolio of stocks. I've got some high-flying, shoot-the-lights-out stocks. Uh, you know, Qualcomm, for instance, is just one. But I've got others that I'm looking to be my steady eddy returners, as Cisco, frankly, has over the last 10 years. It has performed, including its dividend, just above the S&P 500. It's had some good years, some bad years. Um, but but as long as that demand is intact, which I believe it is, and as long as this is a short-term supply chain issue, which again, I believe it is, then it will continue to be a slight outperformance to the S&P 500. I cannot compare it to NVIDIA. That's just not a realistic comparison for Cisco or frankly, any other company, because NVIDIA is incredible. So certainly on a day like today, it looks crummy uh, on an absolute and relative basis, but on an absolute today? basis, it's just today? and relative. Just NVIDIA, today. I just can't play that game. Uh, I should also remind you, by the way, uh, NVIDIA's CEO is going to be on Mad Money with Jim tomorrow, Jensen Wong. There he is, CEO exclusive. Uh, don't miss that. He's on, uh, he's on the Mount Rushmore of CEOs for, for Jim. Uh, he's made that clear. So you want to you hear that interview. Um, all right, Jim, I appreciate it. You're staying with it. I didn't expect anything less, but, you know, it's, it's an interesting juxtaposition when you look at NVIDIA, what it's doing, and then we're having a conversation about Cisco, which is, is going the opposite direction. What I, w I will see you soon. What I do want to do, Carrie, is have a broader conversation about where risk sentiment currently is. And, you know, Tom Lee was on with us yesterday, which sort of startled me the way his technical strategist was saying that you could have a near-term top 
in the S&P this week. Um, look at Bitcoin. Under pressure again today. It's down 10% for the week. Um, where do you think risk sentiment currently is, Kerry? And where do you think we are going? Do you, do you feel like we're, we're topping out in, in for, for a near term? Well, it's impossible and dangerous to predict that type of thing. But we do know a few facts. One is that when the market has decided that it's in love with a stock in this environment, it carries it just to extraordinary heights. I mean, we're really in nosebleed territory when it comes to, you know, look at the Rivian example. It was valued above 90% of the S&P 500. You know, uh, what happened with Tesla? Where, where we're seeing the buying in NVIDIA, I'm not having any, you know, uh, quarrel with what a great company it is, but the buyers are rushing to what they love and they are just discarding what they've decided is not good enough. And, you know, of course, I feel it because of, you know, PayPal, for example, and we own some Visa, but some of the stocks we own just go through the roof, you know, on a daily basis. So, yes, there's momentum with the enormous capital M and the rest of the word in big caps. And you have to be careful about what happens when the momentum changes. The guidance that companies are giving now, while it's their best effort, it's still very unclear because of supply chains. Who would have thought that some retailers would say, we have absolutely no problem getting product. Our inventories are flush. And then you have other companies that have to say, hey, look, you know, we don't have that inventory, but we expect that we will. And maybe something will happen over the next few months that changes that equation. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, I believe that we have to be very careful about the extreme buying and selling that's going on in names. Look at Macy's. I mean, I think that could be short covering. Oh, but all right, hold on with that because we know, got that coming 20- up. We, we got, we, we're going to talk Sorry. about Macy's yeah. coming up, so, yes. which I know you know. A lot so of speculation. Yeah, um, a lot of speculation, and I think it's important okay. to be aware. Doc, I, I, want, I want to get your thoughts on, on what you think about what's happening with Bitcoin, <laughs> right? This down 10% in a week. Um, what that says about yep. current risk sentiment, because it really has been a track, right? When, you know, speculative fervor is at its purest and its highest, assets like Bitcoin have rallied the most. Now you have, I don't know, a little bit of weariness and here we have Bitcoin down 10% in a week. How do you view it? Well, two things, Scott. Number one, that fear and greed index for Bitcoin reached a high, a multi-month high this past week. Um, that doesn't mean that it's always right, but when the greed gets that strong, usually we see a correction, much like when the fear gets very low or very, uh, you know, when it spins the other way, that's a great buying opportunity. Um, I I think um, Marathon Digital this week, Scott, uh, M-A-R-A, when they announced that first 500 million um, in dilutive offerings so that they could raise money, obviously, um, they ended up upsizing that to 650 million. You put a fork in it right there. Um, Now, not for the long term, but for the short term, you saw the big assets like Bitcoin and Ethereum, the two biggest by market cap, just get cracked immediately. And so usually what we see is when Bitcoin and Ethereum are rallying, we see um, Coinbase and even Robinhood and Voyager Digital all rallying to the upside when those stock, when the coins rally, those stocks rally. Well, this time they flipped it around. The stocks were all going down and mm-hmm. going down mm-hmm. rather fast, 
much more than Bitcoin. I think uh, Marathon's down 36%, Scott, um, since Monday this week when it peaked at 76 or thereabout. Now it was 48 or 49 just a little bit ago. So yeah. I think that just kind of flipped it on its head, and uh, that'll wear off into next week. So I still am bullish on it to the end of the year. All right, let me take a quick break. Uh, as Kerry said, Macy's is soaring on the back of its earnings. It's now up more than 230% this year. Activists and hedge funds getting into the stock. Should you as well? We'll debate that when we're back in just two minutes. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one, which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit odfl.com. Old Dominion, helping the world keep promises. Hi, I'm Ben Rizzuto, wealth strategist at Janice Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of futures. At Janice Henderson, we are committed to helping you invest in a brighter future for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. Good day, everyone. I'm Tyler Matheson. Here's our CNBC News update at this hour. The House Speaker Nancy Pelosi says a vote on Build Back Better legislation could happen today. She says lawmakers are waiting on the Congressional Budget Office to report on the cost of the bill. The man who fatally shot Ahmad Arbery says Arbery's demeanor struck him as suspicious when he first approached him to ask about a possible crime in the neighborhood. Travis McMichael acknowledged the 25-year-old black man did nothing to threaten him in any way at that point, but he perceived him to be a potential threat. McMichael's also said he misspoke when talking to police and giving conflicting descriptions of what took place. On the news uh, tonight, the danger of testifying when accused of murder and whether Travis McMichael's is helping or hurting his own case. That's tonight at 7 Eastern with Shep on the news. And for the second day in a row, Russia has reported a record number of new COVID deaths. The death toll there rising by 1,251, the latest surge, keeping cemeteries busy, holding funeral services. And the price of food for Thanksgiving dinner expected to jump 14 percent this year. The American Farm Bureau says it's still under $6 a person, but it's the most expensive since the group began tracking prices back in 1986. Adjusting for inflation, however, current prices are still below where they were five to ten years ago. Scott, back to you. All right, Ty, appreciate that very much. Uh, Thank you. Uh, you know what, control room, I'm going to throw a little bit of a curveball here, and I apologize, but I'm just seeing something that is making some headlines, and it is pushing Apple closer towards its all-time high. Can we throw up Apple shares? Uh, John Ajarian, there's a report that's just crossing here that suggests, and I'm pulling it up once again, so bear with me, please. This is happening in real time, folks, um, that they're accelerating work on a car, and they aim for a fully autonomous vehicle. That's according to a Bloomberg report. We have not independently verified that, but of course we're working on that as well, and we'll bring you more information as we get it. But 
look at that right there. I mean, that's the reaction in the stock as to why I saw it and wanted to bring it to all of your attention. Doc, let me make it that 2%. Good move. If Apple does that, stock's trying to push back at its high. Yeah, well, that rumor that you're citing, Scott, is that the car uh, could be um, released in 2025, which is a lot earlier than anybody would have otherwise anticipated, I think. Um, this is, I've spoken to some executives at Ford, and I know that they think we're going to be getting into autonomous vehicles, and it's all about owning the screen. And Apple doesn't want to miss out in that. In other words, Scott, the car and the experience driving the car, that's not going to be what it is in 2025 and out into the future. It's going to be about the screen, the entertainment that you have when you get in that autonomous vehicle and just basically relax, watch, and consume um, various entertainments. And it probably won't just be us sitting around you know, on our phones tweeting and things like that. It'll probably be people enjoying what's on those screens. That makes that unbelievably valuable. Not the car itself, but the fact that you control what those people in the car um, are experiencing. That's going to be huge for everybody in the space. By the way, if I were Ford and General Motors, I wouldn't quit the business, but I would certainly spin off these EV divisions. I don't know why they keep them under those, um, you know, uh, shackled, if you will, Scott, sure. uh, as they are right now. I mean, r rumors about an, an Apple-related car are, are nothing new, as all of you know. No. Uh, for the last, I don't know, what, five years, we've been hearing reports of speculation about and talking about the idea of an Apple-related vehicle. What pushes this story mm -hmm. forward today, uh, again, reported by Bloomberg, is that Apple is accelerating its car work and aiming for a fully autonomous vehicle. That's pushing the stock... Uh, Josh higher by 2%. I'm also just told that Apple is not commenting to our own Josh Lipton. Um, so we're going to continue to follow that. Josh, uh, you want to opine uh, on this? Uh, I know you're a shareholder too. Yeah, well, I mean, they have $200 billion, uh, probably closer to $230 billion in cash. Who else should be doing a car? And what else should Apple be doing? They obviously are not interested in acquisitions. Right. They've they've made like a very, very small handful of notable acquisitions. Um, so they're not going to do that. There's only so much in, in dividends that they're going to pay out. Mm -hmm. um, and, and the buyback is already huge. They're spending tons of money in R&D. They're spending tons of money in CapEx with the new headquarters and a lot of things they're building around the world. And they still have too much money piling up. So I do think they need to think bigger. I think shareholders have been waiting for them to do that, mm -hmm. and they have endless resources. Like, there's, there's literally no one else on the planet that has the resources Apple does until we start talking about sovereign uh, uh, nations. I do, so I do understand what they all should of that. Do, and I'll I, buy an Apple car. I do understand that, but you, but you, do, you do have a more competitive environment um, than you've had ever in, in that arena, don't for you, what? Josh? For autos, yeah, EVs. Yeah, but they, all, you so know. this is what people. This is what, Mira. This is what people don't understand about Apple. They don't want. They don't want fifty percent of the market. They have no interest. They're not going to compete with Ford. Uh, you know, a, a Ford Fiesta. They're not interested in that. What they're going to do is eventually, maybe not on the first try, make literally the best version of whatever the top twenty percent of of uh, people in the world have the money to buy, and that's where they're going to compete. And they'll have the best margins, 
and they'll have the, the wealthiest buyers. And then maybe they'll ratchet that down and try to compete at lower levels. Apple doesn't come into a market and say, let's be competitive with the lowest cost operator. They have no interest in that. They've never done it. So I'm, I'm bullish on almost anything they try right now. Doesn't mean I hey, think Scott. it'll work, but they have to do more. Scott, go, go, Apple go, go is go not going to spend two hundred. They're not going to spend. That's not Apple's plan. Okay, to spend two hundred billion dollars building a car, they are a low cost. He wasn't suggesting that they wasn't meaning, suggesting meaning, that they were going to spend two hundred. This guy just wants to car. argue with me, no matter what. He I wasn't said. suggesting we, that. We know. We know. Weiss, we know what's on. going now, on. No, Scott. I, I, Weiss, stop. I, I, hey, stop. Josh, I don't want to argue with you, no matter stop. what. Stop. I don't want to argue with you, no matter what. Y'all can just cut the le- mics. Stop increasing you can just cut the mics. I'm not dealing with this nonsense. All right. He wasn't suggesting that they're going to spend $200 billion <laughs> on the car. He was suggesting they've got Scott, so much you money. Scott, let me make my point? No, no. It's actually. No, because it Scott, becomes gratuitous nonsense. it's actually an nonsense. informed point. Carrie, I want to get Carrie into the conversation. Because it's like, it devolves into ridiculousness, and I just don't want to deal with that. Well, Carrie. Scott, maybe you want to hear it. I understand. Carrie. Yes, Scott. Yes, Scott. Yes. <laughs> I want you to opine on this story. Do you have a view or not? Yeah, I do. I do have a view. So um, Apple is a technology company. Cars are becoming technology devices. And to the extent that it's a huge market, I mean, think about the auto industry. It has been for decades the greatest industry, the most revenue generating industry in the world. I mean, it certainly isn't now. But why wouldn't Apple want to be in that business? And their technology driver they're innovative. They have billions of dollars of cash. So absolutely they should. But they will also be in other verticals. You know, this isn't the only one. They've announced this. I, I think it's likely that we're going to see more announcements from Apple over the next few years precisely because the profitability of this company is so enormous. And the size of it, the revenues of Apple, of one company, are much larger than the entire medical device industry of the world. And, you know, there's a lot of health care that goes on out there. And Apple is bigger than all of the companies in it. So, yes, they should be in it. And there's all kinds of productivity enhancements and technology design and interesting options that they can devise for cars. Definitely. Yes. Go for it, Apple. Okay. Now. Stock should go way up. Okay. So, Steve Weiss, I'm going to come back to you. Here's the point, okay? I think the point that Josh was making is they're sitting on a mountain of investable cash, okay? They don't do big acquisitions. They just have not. Beats, I think Beats was the biggest deal they've ever done. I don't have the dollar figure in the top of my head, but it was small relative to other deals that you would figure a company sitting on a, you know, $250 billion in cash could possibly do. So if they want to do something like this, why, why not invest some of that kitty into a project like this? Okay. Here's the informed answer, because it's not in their DNA. What they've been doing is they've been trying to set up partnerships with car manufacturers, not build manufacturing facilities. So it'll be a much higher business for them than it will be for an auto manufacturer, number one. Number two, it'll get their cars on the road sooner. Up till now, they've been unable to form that partnership because they want too much. But eventually it will happen. So my point is they're not going to spend 200 or any part of it building out facilities because that would be a ridiculous business for them and completely out of what they've done in the past. 
So my point is, yes, they will do it, and they will do it in the most profitable way possible by taking a piece as they do in their app store. All right, let's bring in Phil LeBeau, uh, who sat down in the chair for us. Phil, are you there? I am, Scott. How are you? (laughs) Enjoying the debate that you guys are having. Uh, Look, I want to give you some perspective. Uh, If you look at this report, and let's take this report and say, okay, it's accurate, and we have not gotten a comment yet back from Apple, but let's take this report and say that it's accurate, and they do plan to roll out an autonomous vehicle by 2025. A couple of things to keep in mind. If you were going to have this in service and out there in 2025, you would have to start production probably by late 2024. And if you are Apple and you are going to manufacture this car, one of two ways you're going to do it. Really, three ways. One, you build the plant yourself. I'm not sure they want to do that. Two, you go to an established automaker, Hyundai Kia, which we reported earlier this year. And by the way, we stand by our report that uh, there were discussions between Apple and Hyundai Kia to perhaps manufacture a vehicle at the Kia plant in Georgia. You could go that route or you go to a third party like Foxconn. And remember, Foxconn now owns the auto plant that was previously Lordstown Motors, and before that was the GM Lordstown plant. So you've got an established plant that is ready to go if you are Apple, if you want to go with a contract manufacturer. That decision would have to be made early 23, somewhere in that time frame. So you would have to start to see the pieces come into play over the next year that would give you a real indication about whether or not they could make this time frame of 2025. I mean, there is enough you know, speculation around it that Apple is hitting, just hit a new 52-week high on this on this report. Yeah, 157.87 uh, is where the stock got to. So it's about 40 cents uh, or so. Phil, while I have you, uh, we, we showing Apple, you know, it's the biggest yep. company on planet Earth, but it's also worth noting Rivian, which we were showing as well, which took a 15% right. dive on this news. And, you know, I I know you have been astounded like everybody else has with the hyperbolic um, market cap that this thing's been just straight up. I mean, it's been crazy. Right. And and I'm not surprised that it's moving lower, not just because of this news, but overall. Overall, I think people looked at this report and I talked with a number of people in the auto industry. Everybody said the same thing. They said it's going to fall. It will fall at some point, and it doesn't mean that this company doesn't have great prospects. We've talked at length over the last week and a half about the prospects for Rivian. They still are amazing. This is a company that could grow and could someday be a serious threat and competitor to Tesla. doesn't mean it's going to be as big as Tesla. Don't go off and think that I'm calling it the next Tesla. What I'm saying is they've got some great assets and some great management know-how there that they can build on. But it's early, Scott, and there's nobody in the auto industry who, when I talked to him about this move over the last week, there is nobody I came across who said that it made sense. Nobody. So it's not surprising that the stock is pulling back. That does not mean, again, that we're saying that Rivian is not uh, an interesting company that people should be interested in. It just means that there were so many people pying in, and I think it was Josh Brown who said it best yesterday. It was people who were buying this stock fearing that they were going to miss out on the next Tesla. And I understand that, but he put it best. He said, there's nobody who's doing any kind of true analytics and saying, oh, yeah, I think that these guys are going to grow into this valuation. Yeah, pulling back uh, in quotes. I mean, it's still at $105 billion market cap. 
Phil, um, I appreciate you jumping on, uh, hitting me on uh, no email and then jumping in with us. That's Phil LeBeau. You bet. All right, we're going to take a quick break. John's got unusual activity. We don't want to miss that. We'll back right after this. This week, luxury car maker Porsche unveiled two new versions of its electric car, the Taycan. Porsche plans selling more than 50% electrified cars by 2025 and over 80% by 2030. The company is also investing in sustainable synthetic fuels to power its vehicles with combustion engines. That's your ESG Fast Fact of the Day. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash report. That is linkedin.com slash report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash report and get started. All right, unusual. Dr. J, what do you have for us today? All right, quickly, Scott, Lucid, LCID, uh, next week expiration, the 26th, that's Black Friday. Obviously, we don't trade on Thursday next week, so time decay is an issue, but they're buying the 51 calls here. Um, I already had Lucid calls. Second one, IGT, International Game Tech. This one, a lot more time. April, 31 calls with the stock at 29 I was in international game tech. I have rolled up, Scott, and I like this one all the way out till April. All right, Dr. J, thank you very much. Macy's is soaring to three-year highs. Leslie Picker is following the money with a new report. She joins us in two minutes. Shares of Macy's surging to three-year highs today on the back of its latest earnings. Hedge fund Appaloosa, we've learned recently, has taken a stake, and activist Jana Partners is in it as well. Leslie Picker just got a statement from them, too. I reckon they're happy with the move they're seeing. Uh, yeah, Scott, it's a good day for hedge funds with long positions in Macy's. Jana's Barry Rosenstein saying in a statement that, quote, We appreciate Macy's strong execution in the quarter and commend the board for promptly engaging advisors to undertake a review of ways to unlock the value of its strong e-commerce business. This is what they mean. 
John and Portfolio Manager Scott Ostfeld said in an investor conference last month that shares of the retailer could double if it followed a similar playbook as Saks. Now, the owner of the luxury department store, Saks, recently separated its e-commerce business, reportedly planning to go public next year at a $6 billion valuation. So in this morning's earnings call, Macy's CEO Jeff Gannett noted the, quote, significant value that the market is assigning to pure e-commerce businesses. He said the company has recently engaged consulting firm Alex partners to work with the board and financial advisors to analyze a long-term strategy to, quote, further unlock value for Macy's. Several other hedge funds have caught on to the Macy's potential and the recent 13Fs out this week. Appaloosa, D.E. Shaw and Point72 each boosted their stakes. Jana revealed its new position, holding about 4.6 million shares at quarter end. However, those positions are, of course, backdated to September 30th. They may have changed in the six weeks since then, but shares of Macy's tripling so far this year, Scott. So it's definitely been on a nice run for those hedge funds in it. Yeah, no doubt. Leslie, thank you very much. Doc, you have Macy's calls. It was your final trade a couple of days ago, too. Yeah, uh, timing was good on that, Scott. Uh, this uh, digital marketplace, curated digital marketplace with Miracle, this company uh, that they're going to do that with, uh, they predict as much as a $10 billion revenue run over there on the digital side. That would be just blow away crazy um, and fantastic. Um, I have rolled up these calls. I'm still in some, Scott, because I want to be in for Black Friday next Friday, and I'll probably start lightening up after that. All right, good stuff. Uh, Macy's CEO Jeff Gannett, by the way, is on Mad Money tonight with Jim. Uh, Another CEO exclusive interview. For Mr. Kramer, don't miss that. We'll do final trades next. All right, let's do final trades. Carrie, you're up first. Uh, United Healthcare, UNH, it sells for a market multiple. It has above market market growth, very high cash flow, and we're having higher employment levels, and that's really what drives their business, more employees who need healthcare. Okay, Dr. J? NTR, Scott, a big trade. Uh, It's nutrients for uh, fertilizer, more or less, nitrogen, phosphates, things like that. Big trade out in June. I bought calls. Okay. Weiss and Josh, we all play on the same team here. Let's never forget that. Steve Weiss, give me your final trade, please. We do, but differences of opinion are good. The hallmark of this show. Difference of opinion. Difference of opinion is important. It's the hallmark of what we do. Personal arguments, we don't do that. What's your final trade? Freight, FedEx specifically. Retail's doing great. Guess how they get their goods. Okay. Freight. All right, good stuff. Josh Brown? Don't tell anyone, but a massive breakout in Amazon is possible. It's challenging that 3,700 level once again. It's knocked on the door. I think eventually it gets through. All right, thanks, guys. The exchange is now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. There's a moment you realize you're ready for what's next in your career. Maybe it's when you're trying a new scone recipe and think, I could open a cafe. Or maybe you're helping a coworker and say, I could teach a course on this. Whatever your moment is, it's never too early to plan for a career that lives longer. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. For skills training, resume tips, and job listings, visit aarp.org work.